Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. So, since we moved to Charlotte from Chicago in 1995, we have lived in two different houses. Um, The first one we lived in for about 10 years. And then we moved into the house that we're currently living in. And when we made that move, um, you know, we just moved. It was only a few miles away. So we rented a truck and got some people to help us and moved everything over. And when that day, once, you know how it is when on moving day, at the end of the day, you're just exhausted. You know, you've done everything. And closing on the other house was coming in a, in a day or two. So I had this thought, I just feel like I want to go back over to the other house just one more time. I want to just walk through, make sure we haven't forgotten anything. And as we, as I went in, it's, I don't remember what time it was. It was night, maybe 10 o'clock or something. I remembered, hey, I haven't checked the storage space above the garage. In our garage, there were pull-down stairs, and there was a little attic up there where we stored a few things. And, you know, there was the, how the plywood was over the middle of it. There was no insulation. It was just sheetrock because it was, you know, over over the garage ceiling. There was sheetrock everywhere, but we'd put some plywood in the middle so you could walk up and down there and, and store things there. And even light things you could store on the sheetrock. So I go up there, I was probably, I'm sure I was very tired, I'm sure I was in a hurry. I looked around and I saw something and the best I can remember the story, I leaned over and took a step and my foot goes through the sheetrock down into the garage. Fortunately, I didn't go down into the garage. It was only, it was only the sheetrock, it was only a, a hole, which, you know, Oh, it was frustrating. It's like, oh no, we're getting ready to close. I got to find somebody to repair this. And what I learned there is I had trusted the wrong thing. I had stepped on something that I thought was solid and I trusted the wrong thing and I paid a price for it. And what I did there that day, we can do in life. We can, we can put our trust in the wrong things, or we can put our trust in the right things. Well, today we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 115, that contrast, putting our trust in the right things and the wrong things. And will you stand with me? I want us to read this psalm responsibly. We stand together. I, I will read what's in white, and I'll ask you to read what's in yellow. This is Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name be glory. Because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. 
nor can they utter a sound with their throats. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people, Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. You can be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. It's never fun to be bullied, is it? People are bullied, children are bullied, teenagers, sometimes even adults are bullied, sometimes nations are bullied. And this psalm seems to be a response for God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, who were being bullied or mocked or taunted by the nations around them, the heathen nations around them that didn't know, love, or worship, or serve God. And so in it, the psalmist is pointing to God's people, Israel, and he's pointing to them and making it clear where the right place to put your trust is and where the wrong place is to put your trust. He, he doesn't want them to step through the ceiling of that garage, so to speak. Now, this series is called Sacred Songs, as we're going through some psalms, because they were intended to be sung. In fact, you kind of have a picture here in Psalm 115 of a, of a corporate worship setting. And it's, there's some antiphonal things going on where the worship leader is, is calling the people to praise God and calling the people to trust God. And then they're responding and it's back and forth. Um, kind of like Isaiah 6, where Isaiah had this vision of God. In, in his temple and, and the angelic beings were crying, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. And it's like they're saying it to each other. This is also one of several Psalms from 113 to 118 that were used in the Jewish faith in connection with the Passover. So Psalm 113 and 114 were read before the pass or sung before the Passover meal, and then after the Passover meal, Psalm one fifteen was sung, as well as sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. So you can you can evenly divide the Psalm into two sections, both of which show us about a certain kind of trust. And the first section, verses one to eight, I'm calling misplaced. 
trust. It's on your outline sheet if you're following along there. Misplaced trust. The psalm opens with the worship leader calling on the people to focus on the honor and glory of God. Verse 1, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Now, these other nations, they had their gods, they had their idols, they had their physical representation, something they could see, but Israel couldn't see her God, which is probably the reason why, part of the reason why the nations mocked them in verse 2. Why do the nations say, where's their God? So the psalmist answers, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And there's three things he says about God right here. God is personal. Our God. God is sovereign. He is in heaven. And God is also free. He does whatever pleases him. Now, the false idols are none of these things. They're neither sovereign nor personal nor free. Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. Hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. It's, it's like they're the living dead. <laughs> they're just these statues um, that have, they're made in the image of man, right? Eyes, ears, feet. They can't do anything. <laughs> and the real tragedy comes in verse 8. Those who make them will be like them. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. The spiritual death will be a part of all, not just the idols, but those who make them and those who trust them. Now, This wasn't only true in the Old Testament time. Paul, for instance, in Romans, we come to the New Testament, the letter at Rome. Paul described what had happened in society. He said in Romans 1, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator 
who is forever praised. Amen. That's idolatry. Serving other things. Serving the created things. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that was pretty foolish for people way back there to serve those statues, those idols, right? And it, and it was because they were dead. But I would say we shouldn't judge too quickly because I really believe we as a people have a lot of idols. There's a lot of idol worship in our society. Now, <clears throat> when I've been to Thailand two or three times and been with Don and Sai Hill, and when you go there to their little village, you see the, you see the idols out, you know, the physical idols out in the yards and you go in the homes and you see the idols in the homes. It's, it's, it's like everywhere. We don't typically in America, we don't, now some do, but most people don't worship physical idols like that. But what are the things we worship? What are the things we make idols out of? Um, I've just reread, I've read it for the, at least the second time in my life. A great little book by Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods. If if you have not read that book, I highly recommend it. Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. And in it, uh, and he, he defines what an idol is. And I, I'll just tell you right now, through the course of this message, um, I, I will be referring to Keller at different times. It's very influential to me. But he defines an idol as anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. Now, idols don't have to be bad things. Idols can, can be things that are good or normal or neutral, or they can be bad. But they take the place that only is reserved for God. And so he gives some examples. I'm not going to give all of his examples, and I'll throw in maybe a couple of my own. But think of some of the personal idols that people have, things that people make more important to them and their happiness than God, like family. Money, power, achievement, access to particular social circles, or acceptance by a certain group. It could be a peer group. It could be a group at school, maybe in middle school or high school. It's a group of popular kids that you want to be accepted by. Or maybe it's people on your in your office or in your neighborhood that, that you just really want to be accepted by. Health, fitness, and physical beauty. It's another idol. Uh, comfort idols like sex or pornography. 
or even making an idol out of human or romantic love. We can look to sex and romance to bring transcendence to us and the sense of meaning that really only comes from God. Uh, Keller notes, we maintain the fantasy that if we find that one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. (laughs) But our ultimate love object is designed to be God and no human being is qualified for that role. C.S. Lewis wrote, there are all kind of things in this world that offer, offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. And this lines up very well with what the psalmist wrote thousands of years before C.S. Lewis was born in verse 8. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Now, in light of the danger of idols... And how much the Bible says about idolatry, it's incumbent on us to identify what are our idols. Let's not just think about other people's idols, but let's ask, what are our idols? I've been asking God that a lot lately. Do I have idols in my life and what are they? Keller gives four kind of questions or Indications, And this will help you identify maybe what an idol is. The first one is uh, thoughts and daydreams. What do your thoughts effortly, effortlessly go to when, when nothing else demands your attention? What do you daydream about habitually to bring you comfort and joy? Is it a dream house? Is it a different job? Is it a relationship? So that's one way. Another way is how you spend your money. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Money flows towards things that we love. It's it's a clear indication. The things that we love, the things that are important to us, we, we devote our money to. And then... How you respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes. The question is, what are you really living for? Who is your real God? Not We all profess, probably here, Jesus Christ is is our Lord and God. But what happens when we long for something or work for something or pray for something and don't get it? How do we respond? That can help us know whether it's just something that's important or something we desire or something we've made an idol out of. And then finally, uncontrollable emotions. Uh, They, too, can reveal things that we feel like we must have at all costs. Anger, fear, 
despair, guilt. And again, the key word's uncontrollable. The, all of us have emotions, and emotions are good. So that is the first kind of trust in the first eight verses, misplaced trust. Fortunately, we don't end there. There's good news from God. We don't have to live in a dead-end street because idols are a dead-end street. The second kind of trust in verses 9 to 18 is rock-solid trust. The Lord is worthy of our trust. Notice the threefold call here. All you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. So pretty all-encompassing. The Israelites, these were God's people, the Jewish people. Aaron, the house of Aaron, those were the priests. So you've got the people, you've got the priest, and then the third group would include both of those and then maybe even other God-fearers. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. This is that antiphonal, you know, I I can almost picture the worship leader saying it, trust in the Lord, and then the, the choir singing, he is our help and shield. All right, you want to sing that, Chad? Ready? Oh, okay. Didn't warn you about that one. Work on that one for next week. He is our help and shield. It's, it's a cool setting and a cool sound. And it, it, it's trust God. Why? Because he's our help and shield. That's a, a military metaphor. God is going to protect his people. God is going to fight for his people. Including probably the very nations that were making a mockery out of Israel. And saying, where is, where is their God? Verse 12, the Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people, Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. Now, when we use the word remember, we usually, in English, think of calling something to mind like you might say, oh, hey, remember when you go to Harris Teeter to pick up eggs. Right. Remember, don't forget something. Biblically, this word remember means God not only calls us to mind, but he takes action on our behalf. And if you're part of God's people today, isn't it cool to think that God remembers you? (laughs) Psalm 136, verse 23 says, he remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever. Now in verse 14, it seems like we come back to the worship leader who's calling on the people again. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Think about it. The false idols, they got hands, can't do anything with them. They got feet, can't walk, mouths. They're just dead. They're inanimate. Who is it that blesses God's people? God. The Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. Is he powerful enough? Does he have enough resources? 
Well, he's the maker of heaven and earth. There's the answer. That settles it. And verse 16 describes him even further. The highest heavens belong to the Lord. but The earth he's given to mankind. God is not limited at all. And he is completely different than the idols. That's why we should submit to him, and that's why we should praise him, as verse 17 and 18 say. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we, it is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore, praise the Lord. You know, the word Lord appears in every verse from verse 9 to 18. Three times, trust in the Lord, 9, 10, 11. Verse 12, the Lord remembers us. And will bless those who fear the Lord, verse 13. 14 and 15, you get these benedictions. May the Lord bless you. In 16, we're reminded about what an amazing God we're talking about. The highest heavens belong to him. In verse 17, the dead don't praise the Lord. And in 18, we extol the Lord. This is the rock we're called to trust. God, the maker of heaven and earth. The God who wants to bless you. The God that has made a covenant with you, if you're part of his people, he is in relationship with you, and he wants you as his people. And he wants to bless you. And that is why God's word for us this morning is this. True blessing comes when we trust in the Lord, not in idols. True blessing comes When we trust in the Lord, not in idols. Now, biblical commentator Scott Haifman, in a New Testament book, observes that the temptation to idolatry among God's people today, which is us, is not to deny God outright, but to distrust his all-sufficiency and sovereignty so that We continue to need God and something else to get us through and make us happy. God and a better job. God and a better spouse. God and a better front lawn. God and my neighbor's cottage. So what idols... Do you have this morning? What what are you looking to to bring that meaning and fulfillment in life that only God is intended to give? Maybe we can put it another way. Is there anything you can identify that the way you've been living and acting and thinking indicates that you, quote, need God and that it's a great question for us to ask ourselves like i said i've been asking myself that a lot and another question is are you willing to replace those idols today with trusting god that's what the psalm is calling us to do and if you want to do that if you say okay yeah jerry i i know what my idols are the question is how How can I, because I can promise you how you can't. You can't do it just by willpower. You can't just think, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. 
Idolatry is not only when we disobey God, but it's setting our hearts on something other than God. Let's look at a, briefly at a very important passage in the New Testament that helps us answer this question. Colossians chapter 3. Paul is speaking to believers in Christ, and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So the way we replace our idols with trust in God is two words, repentance and rejoicing. We need to repent of the fact that we have idols. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life. I'm, I'm thinking and living in a certain way, and I all of a sudden I realize that's the wrong way, and I, I want to turn towards God. That's, that's what repentance is. That's only part of it. If you only repent, you'll get in a cycle, <laughs> and you'll repent again next week. And the week after that, and the week after that. It's got to be joined with rejoicing in who Jesus Christ is. This is where we have to put our hope and our focus in Christ. Keller words it really well. He says, it entails joyful worship, a sense of God's reality in prayer. Jesus must become more beautiful to your imagination, more attractive to your heart than your idol. So when we rejoice in something, it doesn't mean that it makes us happy. It means we choose to treasure it. We reflect on its beauty and its importance until our heart rests in it. That's what rejoicing is. Indeed, true blessing comes when we trust in the Lord, not idols. This is how this passage points forward to Jesus. He's our hope. He's our only hope. What he did for us in dying on the cross was sufficient to break down all the idols, to change us, to give us a new heart, to come in and forgive us, and to let us rejoice in him. At age 16, Gavin Peacock left school, and he signed a professional soccer contract with the Premier League, uh, Queen Park Rangers, QPR. He'd grown up, his father was into soccer, and he was short, <laughs> he wasn't tall, and was like, boy, here's a way you can, your height won't work against you as it does in some sports. He said, learn to do dribble and to do this and this and this. And he worked and becomes this professional soccer player. Listen, listen to what he says. Soccer was my God. If I played well on a Saturday, I was high. If I played poorly, I was low. 
My sense of well-being depended entirely on my performance. I soon realized that achieving the goal wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Then when I was 18, God intervened in my life. I was still struggling to find purpose, so I decided to attend a local church. I don't remember what the minister preached on. Nobody would ever say that today who attends Harvest, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, yeah, about 90% maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember what the minister preached on, but afterwards he invited me to his house where he and his wife hosted a weekly Bible study, a youth Bible study. And he goes to the Bible study and he said, I decided to return to the Bible study the following week and the next, and I began to hear the gospel for the first time. Listen to what this professional soccer player says. I realized that my biggest problem wasn't whether I met the disapproval of a 20,000 strong crowd on Saturday. My biggest problem was my sin and the disapproval of an almighty God. I realized that the biggest obstacle to happiness was that soccer was king instead of Jesus, who provided a perfect righteousness for me. Over time, my eyes were opened through that Sunday meeting, and I turned, repented, and believed the gospel. I loved this next sentence. My heart still burned for soccer, but it burned for Christ more. At the age of 35, he retired. He played for several teams through the years. He retired, and he went into vocational ministry as a pastor in Canada. (laughs) True blessing comes when we trust in the Lord, not idols. Gavin Peacock discovered that. I hope you'll discover it today. I hope you'll discover it today by the grace of God. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.